Oral questions by members. Member for Kamloops North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, Mr. Speaker, last week the NDP tabled the biggest financial black hole ever in the history of the province of British Columbia. In fact, one pundit called it an atmospheric river of red ink, Mr. Speaker, with debt doubling and shockling nothing to show for it. Health care is in crisis. The streets are unsafe, record high overdose deaths, homes are out of reach, and gas is the most expensive in North America. Never has a government spent more to achieve less, Mr. Speaker. Spending is up 75% under this NDP government, yet everything is getting worse. Mr. Speaker, people don't need an elaborate, confusing myriad of forms and tax forms sent off to the federal government to wait several months later to maybe or maybe not qualify for a quarterly payment that may or may not be in the full amount that the government tries to tout under their budget. What they needed was immediate help on their household budgets. Why did this government not provide real relief by removing the provincial gas tax, by providing home heating bills relief from carbon tax removal, and providing that immediate relief to households they could have today in their pockets? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and the member's just wrong. This budget was all about affordability. I, this budget, I mean, I mean, let's just start with the BC Family Benefit. I, I mean, the BC Family Benefit has been an ongoing support to people, and we have added a bonus to it so people will get hundreds of more dollars. And, and I haven't heard any family say to me, oh, my goodness, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. You know, we, we actually added some supports to schools so that kids are getting more food in the, schools, in the school districts, and people are getting supports in the district. In fact, a principal said to me, oh, I'm really hoping that's, that uh, program's going to continue because you have no idea how much it helps families. And it is going to continue. We made Member, we continue. made sure. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, we made sure it was going to continue. You know, the, the, the climate action tax credit. I, this member, I don't know what he, where he's coming from with it, but 100 percent, 100 percent of the increase is going back into people's pockets in this province. People have said to me, oh, there's a little bit here, a little bit there, but it all adds up, Mr. Speaker. And that's what this budget is about. It's about affordability to help people in this province while things are tough. Member for Kamloops, Lord Thompson, supplemental. Thank you uh, very much, Mr. Speaker. Yet again, a total disconnect from this government. The whole point is that people need to have to go through all these hoops between the provincial government and the federal government just to try to get a few dollars back for them. And in fact, the carbon action, climate action tax credit was started when we were in government, and all this government has simply done is continue to add at the same rate because they keep jacking up the carbon tax on people, and that is the problem. It's the utter mismanagement, Mr. Speaker, of this NDP government that is responsible for record deficits and a total failure to deserve on the services people need. Yet the NDP keeps adding fuel to the fire with inflationary 75% increase in spending spread over 32 new and increased taxes now, Mr. Speaker, such as their so-called soda tax and Netflix tax and higher gas taxes. Under their watch, we've become the most unaffordable place 
in the country, with the worst health care results in the country and the worst housing results in the country. Some track record, and now they seem to be proud that we have the most amount of kids needing to access government help at food banks to try to have a meal, Mr. Speaker. How can the Premier defend his ballooning inflationary deficits and keep piling on tax after tax after tax instead of giving people real and immediate tax relief? Here, here. Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, I, I just have to correct uh, the, the member opposite. I mean, he's talking about uh, new taxes. Well, these are things like the flipping tax to discourage speculators from driving up the cost of housing. The speculation tax has created thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of homes, forever homes for people in this province, Mr. Speaker. I think maybe the members opposite, especially the leader, doesn't like it because they'd really like to allow speculators back in the housing market, Mr. Speaker. You know, there is a tax increase, Mr. Speaker. It's a tax increase on big corporations and the 2% of the people in this province that can afford it. That's who the tax increase is for. We are not raising taxes for ordinary British Columbians. We've made that very clear. Unlike members opposite, we are not cutting services to people in this province and we are not going to be raising taxes for ordinary British Columbians. Member for Kelowna Mission. Well, the NDP's budgeting disaster reveals a massive structural deficit with debt servicing costs exploding to $5.7 billion a year. Higher minimum payments on the provincial credit card mean less money for critical services. Schools are neglected. Transit and TransLink left out, and no money for expansion of treatment and recovery, despite seven people a day dying. I have a simple question for the Finance Minister. Given the NDP's reckless fiscal path, how much will debt servicing costs increase if her mismanagement leads to a credit downgrade? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Actually, right now, BC is an uh, economic and fiscal leader in Canada. <laughs> Our debt to GDP ratio is one of the lowest in Canada. Our interest bite is 3.2 cents on every dollar we earn, which is, is the lowest. Member which Let's is the lowest in Canada. So we are ensuring that we can afford our debt load, but we also are ensuring we're going to keep providing services to people. This is about not having a deficit of services, which we were left with. That's what we inherited in 2017, Mr. Speaker, a deficit of services. And we will continue to support people in this province by not cutting the services they desperately need. Kelowna Mission Supplemental. Well, only the NDP would brag about big debt and big taxes. That lack of an actual answer to the question speaks volumes about the NDP mismanagement. Driven by the infamous NDP budget optimism, the Minister's budget ignores her own Economic Forecast Council's projections, has eliminated the forecast allowance, and fails to account for the higher borrowing costs triggered by an impending credit downgrade. 
If there were a Ministry of Debt Servicing, it would rank as BC's fourth largest government ministry, siphoning funds directly from essential services. So I'll ask again, while the NDP maxes out the provincial credit card, exactly how much will debt servicing costs increase when BC's credit rating is downgraded? Minister. Mr. Speaker, it just makes me want to, I know this is question period, it makes me want to ask the question, what would the member opposites cut? What services would they cut to people in this province? Would they cut hospital services, health care? We know they didn't hire any doctors or nurses because we've been steadily hiring doctors and nurses since we formed government. of cutting services like education. We have struggled to make sure that we have enough teachers in this province because there wasn't enough when we formed government. We have hired hundreds of more members, teachers. Members, please. Members. Minister will money. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. There's money in this budget not only to hire more teachers, but to hire those people that help teachers in the classroom so kids can get the services and support they need. That's what this budget is about. Leader of the third party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Missing from this year's budget is tangible support for renters. This government has consistently told renters, who make up a third of the people in BC, you're on your own. It's up to you to keep up with rising rental costs. And let's be clear, a $400 tax credit does not address the dire situation that renters face in BC. Rents are surging between tenancies. In 2023, The rent for vacant vacant units in Victoria was 42% higher than the rent for occupied units. It doesn't have to be this way. This government could implement vacancy control, which removes the financial incentive for landlords to evict tenants. It's the most cost-effective way to provide renters with immediate and genuine housing security. The NDP once cared about renters. Dave Barrett's government implemented vacancy control in the 1970s when inflation and rental costs were high, and it worked. Advocates, including the BCGEU, have been loud and clear. Bringing back vacancy control would make an immediate, tangible difference for renters. My question is to the Minister of Housing. Will he listen to the experts, stand up for renters, and bring back vacancy control? Minister of Housing. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you to the member for the question. And we exactly are listening to the experts. What the experts have told us is that when you're in a, an environment where you have a limited housing supply and you're seeing an increase in population coming to your community, uh, putting a vacancy control by unit into place will limit the new supply coming into the market. We are seeing historic amount of units coming online right now. 14,000 units uh, last year. We had uh, 8,000 the year before, Honourable Speaker. Now, put that in context, 10 years ago, we were about 3,000 or less. So we're seeing historic levels of new units coming online, Honourable Speaker, and we are listening to the experts. The experts have told us, the BC Housing uh, Task Force that we had put together, advised against this move because it will slow down more rentals. It may help some people in the near future, but it will hurt us over the long term. Leader of Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Listening to the experts five years ago about ignoring the ones who are speaking today is a choice. And the thing that's being limited are people who can afford to live here. 
This government says it's addressing affordable housing, yet millions of dollars earmarked for rent subsidies to struggling seniors have gone unspent. In 2022-23, BC's housing rental assistance programs reached 10,000 fewer people than planned. As a result, $32 million that was supposed to support low-income British Columbians did not get spent. For those who do receive rental assistance, the subsidies are no longer enough to make ends meet. The system is broken. People who worked hard their whole lives, who contributed to the fabric of this society, are being forced into homelessness. It's shameful and wrong. My question is to the Minister of Housing. Our parents are being forced to live in tents and RVs. Is the government okay with this, or will he fix the SAFER program to ensure low-income seniors can stay housed? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, every single day I get up as Minister of Housing is focused on making sure that everyone has an affordable place that they can call home. Honourable Speaker, I appreciate the member's question, but every single measure that we've brought forward to try to address this challenge, to get more housing built near transit, to get more housing built close to communities, Honourable Speaker, has been opposed by the member across the way. And so, although I appreciate the context of the question, the challenge we're dealing with is massive and it requires real leadership, and we have not heard anything from the other side other than uh, a few measures here and there, Honourable Speaker. We're going to continue to do the work we need to do. We need to ensure that we're building supply, that we're investing in affordable housing. We know we're two decades behind when it comes to the re required amount of affordable housing needs to be invested in communities, Honourable Speaker. And when it comes to safer and wrap, Honourable Speaker, uh, we, when we came into government in 2018, increased the budget by 42%. <clears throat> this program is an important program. It serves 20,000 seniors in British Columbia. We know that we need to modify the program. We've had a review that's been done. It's just finishing up, and we'll review it and make that information public. House Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Just two hours ago, the wait time in Surrey Memorial Hospital was eight hours and seven minutes. The wait time in Burnaby Hospital was eight hours and 12 minutes. People in BC are dying. They're dying in hallways, and they're getting sicker and sicker while waiting for health care. Just last week, we heard the story of Sophia from, Ni from Nanaimo. A 23-year-old healthy woman who died after contracting an infection while working at a homeless shelter. Sophia, like close to a million other British Columbians, did not have a family doctor and struggled to get a diagnosis for her rapidly declining health. Mr. Speaker, Sophia was diagnosed incorrectly twice by this NDP's failing health care system. She died at the age of 23. 23. And it was preventable. Mr. Speaker, will this Premier admit that the health care system in British Columbia is broken under this NDP government? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And uh, with respect to the case and, uh, of uh, the death of Sophia, which meant a lot to people in Nanaimo and means a lot to everybody who's heard her story and her outcome and, and her commitment to her community, it's, uh, 
it's a, uh, a very serious case. And of course, we feel the grief of the community and the grief, I'm sure, of the family. And Chair, uh, Honorable Speaker, we don't talk about the details of cases for good reason, Honorable Speaker, including the privacy of the patient. We have a process for independent review that hopefully, and I would say, will also bring some answers. And it's difficult under the circumstances of someone dying so young to bring comfort, but to bring knowledge of circumstances and seeks uh, improvement and review for the system, but also justice for people. And that's what we're doing in that case. With respect to our public health care system, which it should be said, Honorable Speaker, and I think it's generally acknowledged in the country and throughout North America, led the whole continent in its response, for example, to COVID-19 because of the exceptional work of our healthcare workers. A healthcare system where we are, through a health human resources plan, adding the very family doctors that the member refers to. Since we've changed and transformed the primary care system, working with our doctors last year, we added in nine months more than 700 net new family doctors practicing longitudinal family practice, for example. That we have 238 new doctors in our new-to-practice contract program and 237 in our new-to-practice nurse practitioner program who are taking care of more than 200,000 people today, Honorable Speaker. There are fewer people, according to the statistics that are widely used in this House and the media and everywhere else, there are fewer people now looking for a family doctor today than there were in 2017 in the context of a time when we've added literally, Honorable Speaker, 700,000 more people in the province. We have more work to do. We don't see the, the significant achievements together with doctors in the last few months as, as the end of a process, but it's the beginning. We've got to continue to do work, and we're going to continue to do that work. House Leader, Fourth Party Supplemental. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. As a former health care provider myself, this is personal to me. As this House has heard, my wife does not have a family doctor. I'm fortunate I do. Just a few months ago, I watched my own daughter struggle with a health issue in the Abbotsford Hospital. I told this House about it. Her bathroom had feces on the floor, and patients were crammed in the hallways. It was a nightmare, and it was chaos. The number one concern hospital workers told me was the lack of staff. They said to me they're overworked, and they're overwhelmed by the chaos that they interact with daily. Mr. Speaker, British Columbia is the last jurisdiction in North America, in Canada, that has not hired back nurses and healthcare workers who were hesitant to get the vaccine. The last jurisdiction, Mr. Speaker. Question member. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. To the Minister of Health, will this NDP government commit to fixing part of this problem today by hiring back those desperately badly needed doctors, nurses, and healthcare workers that we require right now in British Columbia. Will he commit to that today? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you uh, very much, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the member refers to 
the actions that we took collectively and with the support, in this case, the unanimous support of the legislature to ensure there was a vaccine requirement for healthcare workers. It was strongly supported, for example, by the members' uh, leader of the time and the future leader of the opposition at that time. We took that action. The member talks about the last jurisdiction in North America. We were the jurisdiction that took that action. We were the only ones. In fact, the question at the time is, would we deliver? And we did, Honourable Speaker. And the result of that, the support for a provincial health order from our outstanding <coughs> provincial health officer, Honourable Speaker, has been, I think, for us in British Columbia, the best record in dealing with COVID-19 of any jurisdiction around, and, Honourable Speaker, the fact that we are leading the country in new registered nurses, while other jurisdictions, including Alberta, in the most recent year, lost registered nurses, Honourable Speaker. We're leading the country in, in hiring nurse practitioners, in family doctors, Honourable Speaker, in healthcare workers, Honourable Speaker. It is the opposite of what the member says. The actions we took in the, during the COVID-19 pandemic to support the medical advice of our provincial health officer, of doctors, of nurses around BC. Have, the response has been that people want to come to BC to practice health care because we support our health care. Member for Caribou-Chilcotin. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Drivers got hosed this weekend when the Premier refused to cut gas taxes while prices surged 14 cents in Metro Vancouver. Under the NDP, Vancouver has the highest gas prices and gas taxes in North America. In Williams Lake, diesel today is almost $2 a litre. In comparison to Vancouver, the price of gas in Edmonton is 62 cents per litre cheaper today. BC United has a plan to fix the skyrocketing cost of gas by eliminating the provincial gas taxes, saving drivers up to 15 cents per litre on gasoline and diesel. When will this Premier stop living in an alternate reality and cut gas taxes today? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member for raising the very serious question about the affordability challenges that people are facing today, and there's no doubt that they are. The high cost of inflation, the high cost of interest rates, these are all making a difference for families. That's why our government has taken action through this budget to help people with the everyday cost of living. But, Mr. Speaker, the opposition would cut gas taxes only to allow profits to accumulate with corporations just like we saw next door in Alberta when they made those changes. <laughs> Mr. Speaker. We are going to keep money in people's pockets here and today. That's what our budget does. That's what this government stands for, and that's what we're going to continue to do. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. It uh, would appear that the uh, Premier and, of course, this Minister agree, but the, the worst of it is that uh, I would suggest they're both living in an alternate reality. One, where they both think that taxes don't add to the price of gas in this province. But the reality is that Alberta has lower taxes and lower prices right next door to us. When Alberta cut taxes, it decreased inflation in their province. And the Canadian Taxpayers Federation said this, that the Premier's claims about Alberta were false 
and I quote that that is not true. When the provincial fuel tax was fully suspended in Alberta, the price of gas went down. End quote. When will this Premier and this Minister stop the excuses and finally cut the 15 cents of provincial taxes that are hurting us all? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Once again, I, it's important to understand how this government is a government that stands up for people, has their backs, and is taking action today to help them put money back into their wallets and back into their, into their family budgets. Mr. Speaker, this is a government that's reduced ICBC rates. This is a government that's reducing the cost of childcare. This is a government that is putting every single penny of the increase in climate in carbon tax back into people's pockets through the Climate Action Tax Credit. Mr. Speaker, there is so much more work to do. And the opposition talks about cutting the gas taxes, but let's talk about what else they would cut if they were given the opportunity to be on this side of the House. They'd cut services for people. They'd cut programs for people. Mr. Speaker. Members. Members. Mr. Speaker, we will always stand with people. We are not here just for those at the top. We are going to work every single day for all British Columbians. Member for Courtney East. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Well, let's add some insult to injury here. And in some sort of sick April Fool's joke, this Premier's carbon tax is set to increase on April 1st to almost 18 cents per litre for gasoline. That's a 164% tax increase since 2017. Meanwhile, British Columbia, under this Premier's watch, is the most unaffordable province in Canada, while Saskatchewan cut their inflation by cutting the carbon tax on home heating. Mr. Speaker, BC United would give families a desperately needed break on their bills by removing the carbon tax on all home heating. But once again, the Premier has refused to give people a break. Why is the Premier continuing to tax grab families who can't afford their heating bills to carbon tax hikes? Minister of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Once again, uh, this is a government that's here for people, and that's why, as explained, the increase in carbon tax will go right back to people, 100% of that, back into people's pockets with the Climate Action Tax Credit. Mr. Speaker, the, stop, the help does not stop here, and we are going to continue to stand up for British Columbians each and every day. Given the opportunity, that side of the House, if over here, would make cuts in programs and services for people, that's not what we're going to do. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, every single day, here, here in BC, every day. Members, calm down. Minister will continue. Minister. Mr. Speaker, here in British Columbia, everyday families are paying lower taxes today than they did under the old government. A family with two kids earning $100,000 pays 34% less in provincial taxes today than they did in 2016. Courtney's supplemental. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, it's a bottom line on an energy bill that means most to British Columbians. Family deserves a break. Instead, the only break they get is from a Premier who continues to break his promise on affordability by increasing the carbon tax on April 1st. While people in Saskatchewan are getting a break on their heating bills, this ideological NDB government is jacking up the carbon tax on heating your home. Heating our homes is essential, and budgets are tighter than ever. 
But this radical NDP ideology continues to hammer on family budgets. Why is the Premier forcing families to choose between freezing in their homes and putting food on their table by refusing to provide relief from his high carbon tax increases? Minister. Mr. Speaker, I'm really glad that the question about people's energy bills was raised because we take this very seriously. And not only last year were we able to provide people with a $100 rebate, but as we have all seen, the BC Electricity Affordability Credit will bring savings to people, businesses, and industry. But, Mr. Speaker, if we want to talk about energy costs, Let's talk about the opposition's track record when they were in office. And I know they're probably hoping that people will forget about their record on BC Hydro. Under their M- leadership... Minister, Minister, just a second. Members at the back end of the chamber, please be, be quiet. Minister will continue. Minister. Under their leadership, rates for the average family skyrocketed by 80 per cent. Under their 10-year rates plan, if they were on this side of the House today, a BC family would be paying on average $140 more on their BC Hydro bill. Mr. Speaker, we will always stand with people doing everything we can, not only to lower the cost of their energy bills, but to help them make the switch to more efficient, more cost-affordable, and more pleasant environments to live in. Thank you. Member for Prince George Vailmount. Member. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, what we do know is that every single day in British Columbia, people are struggling under 32 new and increased taxes, punishing fuel taxes and carbon taxes. And that lands squarely on the shoulders of this Premier and this government. People can't pay their bills. They can't pay their rent, and many of them sadly have given up the dream of home ownership. But instead of giving people a break, what is this Premier focused on? Well, what the NDP's favourite economist, Tom Davidoff, says, and I quote, it's not important at all for long-term affordability, but it may be important to provide political cover, end quote. So maybe it is political cover for the fact that just weeks before needing to declare for the speculation tax, what did this Premier do? He flipped his condo to make a profit of $150,000. So while British Columbians struggle, the Premier profits. So instead of looking for anyone else and everyone else to blame, when will this Premier get up and take responsibility for his housing hypocrisy and the struggles that British Columbians are facing. Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. And uh, it's, uh, it is ironic that the member refers to Tom Davidoff in this place. Uh, and uses his quote, because he had a quote as well in, uh, recently about the BC, BCU housing plan. He called it small ball, Honourable Speaker. He said, this will do nothing. And the reason why... Members. Honourable Speaker. Members. <laughs> members. Members. Please, Minister. A member brought up the name, and so I'm just referring to the comments that he made about their housing plan. 
said they can't, they mentioned nothing about supply. And the reason why is because the NDP has done already everything that's needed to address the supply in our housing market. question period members. talking about the things that members, Mr. Davidoff has said about the housing plan. Member, members from Kamloops, members, it's almost over, members, just a few more seconds. Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, no doubt that we know that there are many people who are struggling with housing. That's why we've taken the measures we've taken, Honourable Speaker. Measures to cut red tape. Measures to get more housing supply on it. In fact, measures that they all opposed, <coughs> Honourable Speaker. Measures that they all opposed. More housing new transit. Small-scale multi-units, Honourable Speaker. All these measures are to help address the housing challenges we see it. We're proud of the work. Maybe they should join us in that work. The bell ends the question period.